Wanted to uh, encourage you guys this morning to turn to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. If you are new to our fellowship, we are an expository preaching church. We go through books of the Bible verse by verse. We feel that a high view of God is reading through Scripture verse by verse. And we, we, at times we get out of the uh, expository, uh, specifically the strict expository study, and we go to topical messages. But today we're just walking faithfully through the verses. Um, of the Gospel of Mark, and something very cool happened last week. You know, in Hilo, we only get one movie theater. Can I get a witness out there, right? Like, back in the day, in the 90s, we had a couple movie theaters. We had the one at the old Waikia Plaza, where Fun Factory was. Even had Elevator, right next to Ken's Pancake House. You guys remember that area? I mean, that was the happening spot. Even had one Pog store. Anybody remember Pogs? You know, those circle things we used to play? Well, even there was the Crest Theaters downtown, uh, and that, was, that became the Dollar Theater next. But we had a lot of options, or quite a few options. Today, all we have is one, so we really don't get a lot of um, great movies that come into Prince Gold Hill Mall. But when Lane and I got to go to Oahu to be at a marriage retreat and then to preach at one of our sister churches, uh, we went to the Dole Cannery Theater down near Kaka'ako area. Anybody know where that is, right? Down by Sand Island and... Man, it's beautiful, this era. This is where the old Dole Plantation took place in the 1800s. But we watched a movie called Just Mercy. If you've not seen that movie yet, I would highly recommend you to watch that movie. It's a, it's a, it's a story about uh, transgression, a story about redemption. But ultimately, it started, the, uh, it started Jamie Foxx as an individual who was uh, falsely accused and arrested for a murder of a young 18-year-old white girl in Alabama. This was in the 80s, and though we're past beyond the the movements of the civil rights, and there's been much uh, great redemption through Martin Luther King Jr. and further beyond since the Civil War, there's still some issues with how people racially profile others. And so Jamie Foxx played this individual who was wrongfully, uh, wrongfully um, accused of a murder, specifically over a young, white, 18-year-old teenager. And the young lawyer, played by Michael B. Jordan, has been given the task to support specifically African-Americans in these issues because this character Jamie Foxx played had the, had the, uh, had the penalty of death. He served six, seven years, and something that was significant about this new lawyer, right, that, uh, that uh, Michael, jo- uh, Michael B. Jordan uh, explained was that he uh, found a hiccup in someone's testimony, their confession. In fact, this man was actually used to lie about this Jamie Foxx character that he played about the situation. And he found evidence and he found research that it could be that this individual was actually wrongfully pursued and accused. And by the end of the movie, you see that evidence and right research had a confession, a different confession. It's not just that this man who confessed that this man killed this white lady, but also the, 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 the DA, right, the district attorney, also proven fact that this man was meant to be released. So by the end of the movie, we see this beautiful picture of redemption. Even after this, this man Jamie Foxx played, was wrongfully accused and stayed in prison for seven years. 
there was a confession, a rightful confession. And if you've been with us for some time now, you know we've kicked off a new series through our verse-by-verse study through the gospel of Mark, where we're calling it Confessions. Two weeks ago, we talked about the confession of what we see, and today we're going to look at the confession of what we say. And in the gospel of Mark, we see a profound verse or verses that allow us to understand an honest meaning of what true confession looks like in light of the gospel. Can I get a witness there, right? In light of the gospel, we believe at Ohana Church, the only message we have, whatever text we preach, whether it's from the Old Testament, the New Testament, we believe at Ohana Church that the only message we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So anytime we talk about a a specific passage, we will always have a Christology view, the study of Christ, the study of Jesus, and a gospel-oriented view of the text. And we believe this book that's made 66 books of the Bible is really one story. And it's the story of Jesus. And so if you have your word, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark? And if you're there already in chapter 8, would you stand with me in the reading of God's faithful word? We thank God that, it, that this word is, is not error, it is without error, it's 100% accurate, and we believe this is shown not just in our belief system, but also historically, and secular philosophers agree with, with these writings, like a man named Josephus, um, who was a philosopher in the Jewish time of Jesus, and in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, they move forward from, from the healing of Bethsaida, of a blind man. And it says here, as they're moving on, in verse 27 of chapter 8, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, say these words with me, one, two, three, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and the others say Elijah, and the other ones of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Then Peter answered him. You are the what? Christ. Christ. I want you to hear this. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Holy Spirit of God, would you give us clarity of these verses, these texts? God, as we look through the gospel of Mark, help us to identify our special desire and need for the Holy One. As Peter confesses the Christ, the anointed one, the only Messiah of the world. We look to you, give us clarity, biblical uh, clarity. Give us Christ-centeredness, Christ's urgency, and Christ's focus today. In the mighty name of Jesus, and God's ohana says, Amen. You may be seated. Noho ilalom. It's very clear that in the text we see Jesus continually moving forward. And Jesus is moving forward with... These 12 men, 12 men who aren't perfect, but with a perfect Jesus. Can I get a witness, right? He's with them. They're experiencing his earthly ministry in Galilee. We addressed a few weeks ago that this was the year of popularity for Jesus. We have year one of the foundation of Jesus, year two, the popularity of Jesus. And then we'll find out later on in the gospel of Mark as we move forward, year three, the, the, the year of uh, completion. We see a beautiful picture of Jesus redeeming, right, man through his healing ministry. 
And what they're doing now, they're moving from town to town to town. And now they're not going backwards towards Jerusalem or Capernaum. Right now, they're on the north shore of Galilee, and they're moving even more north way to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was literally 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was the location known for the false god or deity Pan. All right, you guys ever heard of that God in Greek mythology and all that? He's the one with the weird legs, with the flute and all that. This is the God, Pan. It was also near Mount Hermon, a noticeable location in the Old Testament that they revealed in Mark 9, the transfiguration that we're about to see in the next couple of weeks in chapter 9 of Mark. One thing is clear in verse 27, and that Jesus goes deeper in his confession or conversation with his followers about one significant question, right? Say it with me, one, two, three. Who do people say that I am? I want you to meditate on that right now. I want you to ponder on that. Because growing up in the, Hawaiian, in the islands, when you talked about somebody, it was not, help me out, porno. It was not good. In fact, if... People would come up to you and fights would get started, right? Because I heard you talking about me. Now ever put your name, right? You guys heard that? Now ever put your name in my mouth, right? That's the kind of mentality we, we live in, in this tribal culture. Everybody thinks they can fight and they can scrap. But as we known as UFC yesterday, everybody can lose, right? Can I get a witness, right? Like, like, like you can act tough as much as you want to, but a bullet will kill you. Right? That's the reality, right? And so I want to be very clear. All of us come to this reality that we all fall from grace, but Jesus really redeems this saying, and he says, who do you say that I am? Who does this people say that I am? And so I really want to give you two platforms of grace today, and then we'll be Pauhana, and we can go home, Kauka, and we can watch the 49ers beat Green Bay. Hallelujah. All right? Back to Christ. Hallelujah. Number one, right? The gospel connects our confession to those connected to Christ. If you believe that, would you say that with me? One, two, three. The gospel connects our confession to those connected to Christ. There is beauty in our verses today because we see starting here in verse 28 that Jesus asked them a question. And then in verse 28, they say three specific titles or names of people. These are the people say that you are. Number one. You're John the Baptist, right? Number two, you're Elijah. And then number three, some will say you're the other prophets, right? This is how his disciples uh, said to him. And it's true with this statement that the gospel connects our confession to those connected to Christ. Because if there's anything we know about these three titles or persons, individuals, we know specifically that their prophecies pointed people to the Messiah, to the anointed one. Let's break it down. Let's look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. We learn in the birth of Jesus, both in Luke and Matthew, of this relationship. Also in Mark chapter 5, we learn that John the Baptist was so bold that his boldness of who Christ is and who the gospel and what the gospel was really ended his life. He was a prophet in the wilderness. He discipled a few of Jesus' disciples like Thomas, Andrew, Peter. Uh, he baptized many, even Jesus. We learn in chapter 1 of the gospel of Mark. His cousin, John the Baptist himself, baptized the Savior of the world. And theologically, this is good news because this identifies that the water does not save you. 
If the water saved us, then Jesus came unsaved. Jesus came not as salvation to the world, but as one that needed to be cleansed. And that wasn't the truth of it. Jesus modeled what every believer should model because baptism was more than, wasn't about conversion. Baptism was about fellowship. Are you with me? Conversion saves the sinner from death into life. Baptism is a public declaration that we belong in fellowship with God because of his son. John the Baptist was part of this. One of the things John the Baptist said was that it was his calling to prepare, help me out, the way of the Lord. How did he prepare the way? He declared the gospel. He declared that there's coming a Messiah, knowing that that would be his cousin, Jesus, in the flesh. Secondly, we see the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah is mentioned in 1 Kings in the Old Testament. And like Jesus... In the Old Testament, Elijah performed signs and wonders like Jesus in the New Testament. He rose someone from the dead. He, he called down fire and rain from heaven. That's the story of the prophets of Baal. And he literally criticized them. And then he had them murdered because their God Baal did not show up. But the God of Israel showed up. Right? And then we talk about all these prophets moving forward. Ezekiel, Jonah, Daniel, Micah, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Ezra. These prophets of the old, the minor, the major. They all have one articulation, and that is there's a Savior. And it's clear in Mark 8 who he is. Say that name. One, two, three. Jesus. The whole 66 books of the Bible is about one guy, one God, God, man, man. I don't know how it works. It just works. That's what makes him God, Jesus, right? And Jesus is trying to articulate to them in the question, who do you say that I am and who does people say that I am? Here's a biblical truth. John the Baptist, Elijah, and the prophets of the Old Testament were all figures of a promised Messiah. However, they were not the Messiah. Can I get a witness there, right? I think it's kind of interesting that every time someone would preach in the Old Testament, we're directing each, each individual prophet or character to us, right? Individually. And we're talking about the hero side, right? If we were just like Elijah, let me tell you something. Elijah had some issues, all right? Because after he asked God to rain down fire from heaven, something happened in the next chapter. He hid from a queen named Jezebel. Right? Like a dog with his tail in between his legs. That was Elijah. But we look at Elijah as the hero of the story. And we got to be very clear that the hero of the story in all scripture is Jesus. Right? Right? Like all these prophets, all these messages of God, they, they pointed people to the Messiah, but they were not the Messiah. Um, their role in biblical history was to point people to a greater person, a God-man, Jesus. And Jesus is giving them a test to clarify who are these people saying that he is. And some of them even demote Jesus himself, right? To, to say that he is Elisha, to say that he is John the Baptist, to say that he is one of the prophets is to, is to demote him for who he truly is. But the truth is still the same. The gospel connects our confession to those who connected with Christ. These prophets were connected with Christ. That is their confession. That is our confession, right? And this is the difference between a man-centered gospel and a Christ-centered gospel, right? 
we see, uh, we see four pics, all right? I want you to show you these pics, and it, it's kind of comical and all that, but in today's age, we have people who are, who are saying, this is what Jesus has said, right? But I want to show you, it's a, you can go online and see this. I want to show you the things Jesus never did say about himself and about his gospel. Here's the first one, right? And if a town should reject you, change the gospel to suit their beliefs. Oh, negative, right? Like that, that does not work, right? Here's the second one, right? Foxes have hoes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man will give you a Bentley and that big house that your prosperity preacher promised. <laughs> See, I'll ole, one, two, three. I'll ole. Yeah, yeah, here's the third one, right? This is your best life now. Live your dreams. Unleash your full potential, buy material goods, and make yourself happy. Help me out, one, two, three. Right, this is what people are saying today. This is contextualization of the gospel. Like, it's, it's bad. It's, it's heva, heva nui. It's sinful. But this is, I'm telling you, and you're going to look at your post, like, this week. You'll be like, does my post sound like this in social media? If it does, delete it ASP, all right? Like, it may not say the exact words, but it has the similar heartbeat. Here's the final one, right? Go into all the world and preach to people that, that doctrine doesn't matter. One, two, three. Oh, ole, man. Doctrine does matter. It's, uh, oh, it's too fancy. People will not get it. It's not up to people's intellect to get doctrine. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Jesus promised us that. But here's the reality. People are saying what Jesus is and what he is in. And obviously, we see on these four pictures that this is false. And I'll be honest with you. Some of you, I love you. I'm going to say this because I love you. You may be one of these Christians in there. Saying things like this, listen to me, if a right view of Christ, right, will be correct, it will always be through the lens of the gospel, not cultural dynamics or generational changes. You don't change the message of the gospel to fit your context. That is an exegetical means of the gospel. We are exegetical. We lead from the text, not to the text. Are you with me? I hope we got some people that are with me, huh? <laughs> you know, because that's the reality. The gospel we are called to, that bugger hurt. That bugger cut, all right? That bugger slice, right? I mean, the, the thing, I mean, it's said in Acts 2 that when the Jewish people heard the word of God from Peter's message after Jesus' ascension, it said that they were literally cut to the heart. The Greek word for cut is literally cut. <laughs> You don't need a demon or a PhD to understand the word cut. Is your heart cut today? Yeah. Have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not the gospel of Joel Osteen, not the gospel of these false prophets, Joyce Myers, all this. And oh Lord, I listen to them, Kahu. I watch. Don't listen to them. It's heresy. It's false. We've been going Tuesday nights about false doctrine and false teaching. And you realize, I'm not saying this to just condemn people to hell, but in Jude, it says to contend for the faith, to call out false teachers and false prophets. But we live in an Americanized gospel where we can't talk like that, pastor. It's true. I hope you understand that you're reading through the lens of the gospel and not your contextual or cultural means. Because that's the truth. And what Jesus is doing, he's clarifying 
these truths about who he is. Here's the things Jesus did say about himself. Matthew 16, 24. He says this about discipleship as well. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Say that louder like you mean it. And now say the second word. No, 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 you miss it. Deny himself. Make the gospel personal. Not deny somebody else. Deny yourself. And then he says, take up your what? Cross and what? And I want to be very clear. He doesn't say your cross. He's clear his cross. Right? As a football coach, all my boys do the Odom Beckham. Right? What is that? Cross in the ears. Right? Cross chain. And I would ask them. What does, those cross, what does that cross stand for? They can't reply. They don't know. Listen to me. The cross wasn't this pretty gold and silver necklace on your ears and all that. The cross was a torturous tooth for our Savior to take on your behalf. The cross is sacrificial. Thank you, Lord. Right? And this was, if you want to follow me, first off, deny yourself. But we love ourselves. Right? right? We had resolutions, right, coming up. How many of you have given up already on lifting weights and working out? Praise the Lord, you know what I'm saying? Thank God for denying yourself, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's not true. Please forgive me, Lord. That's not true. But right, right, it's true, right? We have these temporary resolutions. And you guys know, if there's anybody needs to work out, it's this Hawaiian right here, right? I don't look like this because I eat salad. Can I get a witness out there, right? Like, there's a reality, like, but, but it says here we must deny ourselves. And I really believe when he meant deny, he's not saying, he, he, people will say, he's not saying to totally reject. He is saying reject yourself. Because who you are in the flesh is opposite of Christ. He says reject that person. And he said, take up my cross, his cross, this torturous cross. And then he said, systematically, follow me. I want you to see what he not say. He doesn't say the opposite. He didn't say, follow me, then take up your cross, then deny yourself. It's written in systematic order. He says, he says, deny yourself, repent. That's your confession today. Make it known that you follow Christ and not yourself, right? Take up my torturous cross and, and follow me, right? That, that's beauty of the gospel. Mark 10 says this, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Now, if you don't know this story, this was a rich man. And, and he said, what, what must I do to follow you? First off, right, that's the wrong question to ask the Savior of the world. What must I do, right? That, that's, that's, what, that's what American Christianity has become. What, what do I have to do? And we find out that what I've done is the reason why I'm in the boat that I'm in today. My sin, my transgression, my trespasses, my vices, it what separates me from God. But God in his grace, he's not going to get stuck up on, on semantics of words like all of us in this room, all right? He goes and says, okay, this is what you're going to do. Though that was a horrible question, this is what you got to do, right? And then he says this, you must give away everything. Specifically to the who? The poor. And now people say, now he's not, some preachers will say, oh, no, he's not saying to give away everything. He literally means give away everything. In this sense, now is this for all cases? No, but in this sense, because the context of the man was, was rich and he put all his energy and efforts and love and attention to money, he's telling this man, give away what is, most, what is most, the most prized to your heart. Right? 
Moving forward in Luke 14, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my what? Disciple. Whoa, Jesus, Jesus is freaking OG today, people, right? Can I like, what is going on here, right? He's telling me that unless I hate my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, my children, even myself, I cannot follow him. He's actually saying that. How, how, how can it be more contextual to today's understanding with this text? Some of you grandparents love your kids way too much. Let me be honest with you, all right? Those little balls of sin, all right? Homemade sin. Can I get a witness out there, right? 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 They're cute for a little bit. But you know what happened with those hellions? They grow up. <laughs> they grow up. Eh? And you laugh, but we, we are all that hellions, right? Every one of us. We grow up, right? And the reality is, like, you grandmamas and granddaddies, right? You guys, like, make them, like, angels, Right? Not the fallen ones like Lucifer, but angels, the seraphim. You guys treat them with a, oh, I wonder if, what am I going to get them? Like for my in-laws, like it really ticks me off that every birthday or Christmas, right, they're going to buy them all the most annoying instruments. Can I get away with it? <laughs> or, or toys and all that. And like, I don't know about you. And I don't know if you get kind of feet like me. I get hakaka feet these days, all right? I don't can walk barefoot anymore like back in the day and all that. But the most evil feeling in the world. Let me take my glasses off for this because heat started coming on my glasses. The most evil thing in the world is to step on Legos. Can I get a witness there? You remember the verse in uh, Ephesians 4, Kyle Marcus? Don't let no profanity come out of your mouth. I failed that many times. All because a small little one centimeter Lego. Right? Right? Like, like. But, but that's what parents do, right? We put so much investment in our children and, and all this. We talk highly about them. I, I put them on social media and all that. I advertise them, whatever the case is, right? And Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, if you advertise these people more than my gospel, you cannot follow me, hoy. You cannot follow me, right? We, we, next to Jesus alone, right? No affection or attention should even come close to that relationship. What do you think about? Right, right? Some of us, we think about vaccines, vaccinations for our kids. We put so much investment inside of those things, what not to And those things are clear and all that. But how much more intense should you be about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Right? And, and that's for everything else. Sports. Guilty, right? I got, I'm paying plenty of money Monday, Wednesday, Friday for Kaimana and Kainala to do agility moves and speed training. And they can't even do it half right, right? And so I'm thinking about, why am I doing this? Right? And, and I know there's a process of growth for all of us, spiritually, physically. But the reality is, for us to truly follow Jesus, right, we must understand that he is the front post of our affection. Not my babies. Or my grandbabies. And, and look, look, I'm going to let you know this. Three generations from now, those boggers not going to even remember you, Tutu. Promise you that. It's a scientific fact by William James. Three generations from now, you will not be remembered. Right? So, so make the gospel known. Let it be known. Lastly, John 15 says, remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his what? Master, if they persecuted me, right, they will also what? 
persecute, persecute you. If they kept my words, they will also keep yours. Right? When people look at your life, do they see Christ and the urgency of the gospel? Or do they see your business and the urgency of your business? Or your child and the urgency of your child? Right? I believe Christ is making it very clear. Like, there is no one that should put on the pedestal but himself. This is why man and church could always fail you, or the people in church, because you model Christianity after maybe holier people, right? The pastor, the deacon, the leader, whatever. No, don't model your life based on what you see on this stage, the individual. Model your life on the message the messenger is proclaiming, who points to Christ. And that's why Christ is saying, who do they say that I am? And after reading these verses, you may be questioning your theology today. What do I believe? And I think that should be honest for every church. Every pastor (coughs) should preach in such a way that it questions your theology. Why? Because if it's true theology, it's not up to you to clarify the theology, but the gospel. That's the true gospel, right? Romans 1, 16 and 17. The power to salvation that they will believe, right? (coughs) So, so we live in a time where we must contend for the true gospel, just as the prophets of the old and the New Testament did. And most of all, just as Christ did, who is not just our model, but the answer of our affection today. So I want you to see, moving forward, the gospel connects our confession to those connected to Christ, like the prophets. But secondly, and we'll be Pawana, the gospel connects our confession to Christ. All right, say that with me. One, two, three. The gospel connects our confession to Christ. Right? This is a personal confession. Jesus asked the same question, but this time, right, an individual responds back instead of a group responding back. In verse 29, it says, Jesus asked him, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the what? Christ. I want to be very clear. That when Peter made this statement, right, this confession of him saying that you are the Christ, it was a confession that was a process. This was not youth camp. This was not a conference or a revival. This was a process. This is two years of of Jesus walking with Peter from chapter 1 to chapter 8. We see Peter walking with the Messiah, and he's experiencing the Messiah's power. He's watching him heal people from a distance and close. He even got the audacity for Jesus to call him on the water in the other Gospels, where he literally walked on the water. Like, if there's any person that experienced a personal confession about Jesus, it is Peter. But what we have come to mind in church, in church culture, specifically in mid-1800s, there's a man by the name of, of there was a man, I'm not going to give the name because I can't remember the name, but he, he did the altar calls, the big massive evangelism, and like thousands upon thousands of people would come to the altar, and they would be saved because they walked down to the altar and they said, said a prayer. I want you to know clearly that Peter did not walk down to an altar and say a prayer. To say he was, that Jesus was the Christ. 
He spent faithful two years walking alongside of Jesus, right? Hearing from Jesus, knowing Jesus. And finally, Jesus asked the question two years into the relationship. But here, we try to sell salvation at a revival, at a conference, at a youth camp, whatever the case is. And I'm not against that, but if you see faithfulness, if you want to see true conversion, watch somebody go through the highs and the lows of the gospel. And watch their faithfulness. Because if all we see, because this is, here's the tension in church today. Oh man, that was some powerful music. Oh yeah, what did you think about the music? I don't know, it was just powerful. That's not the gospel. The gospel is clear. Right? The, you guys got to be, there's the doctrine of mysticism. The doctrine of mysticism is no different from someone getting high on drugs, high, uh, uh, loose on alcohol. It's just an emotional an emotional outburst. Denominations were created with this doctrine, this, fall, this fallacy. And we see a beautiful, faithful confession of Peter, not because of an event, but because of a faithful walking with the Savior. Are you walking with the Savior today? Are you walking with Him? Faithfully. And for us, that's, that's why we believe that for, for Ohana Church, it will take a while for us to see true conversion, true fellowship with the gospel. And Peter's confession was not just a one-time event confession. It was a multiple, ongoing, life-giving, life-living environment with his Savior, right? Right? Peter got to walk on water. He got to live life with Jesus. He'd been taught by Jesus. He watched Jesus perform miracles. He served with Jesus. Right? There is beauty in all this because the gospel is a process. Listen to me. The gospel is a process. And I heard a pastor say that this morning. And even in the gospel, it's also a means of, of persuasiveness. The gospel persuades you to believe because of Jesus. Not because of I touch your head and you fall on your back and hopefully you believe in Jesus. Right? That's not, that's not the gospel. The gospel we preach is a gospel of words. It's articulated, right? That's why he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You will live by, not bread alone, but by my word, says the Lord, right? It's about God's word, the, the written word. We believe it's canonized and it's complete, but the written word also reveals the living word. Who's the living word? Jesus. Right? This is our confession today. Just like Peter. Peter, who do they say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ. The word, the anointed one. The Messiah. Really, the only one. The only one that can free us from our transgressions. Why? Because the gospel connects our confession to Christ. I want you to see Matthew's account of what happened. Mark does not talk about what happens after this confession. <coughs> But Matthew does, and it's up on the screen. It says, and Jesus, Matthew's account, the tax collector, Jesus answered him, blessed are you. So this is when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of God. He answers Peter in this way. And Jesus answered Peter, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my who? Father who is in what? Heaven. This is why you know I am the Christ, Peter, right? And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my what? Church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. Praise the Lord, amen, hallelujah. 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the, verse 20, is the only thing we have 
with the gospel of Mark as clarity. But Matthew gives an in-between account of what happened after Peter says to Jesus that he is the Christ. And there's some clarity and historical and theological clarity for us today. When Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, the Catholic church got it wrong. The Catholic church believed it was Peter that was the rock. The problem is that's a fallacy. You make Peter a deity by saying that. That's not what I was talking about. In the Greek language, the word that used the rock is mentioned as little stones. And in Peter's letter, Peter writes about living stones. And the living stones that he's talking about is not so much the people, right? But, but the people's confession. So when Jesus says, I will build my rock on the church, or I will build my church on this rock, he is saying, I will build my church on these confessions. What is the confessions? That he is the Christ. That should get you guys all excited today, all right? Like that's the reality. And Peter makes this known. Is also, I am not the rock that he's building the church on. He's saying these are, the, these are the little pebbles, right? The little stones, the confessions of people of past, present, and future that declares that to the world that Jesus is the Christ. What, is, what does that mean for us today? We are those living stones. We are those confessions, right? The word of Christ is being prevailed through us. Why? Because the gospel connects our confession to Christ. Not ultimately because of us or God needed us or God wanted us, but because of his grace, because of his mercy. It's only good that God would choose sinners and transgressors like you and I to say, man, he is the Christ. He is the living God. He is the son of God. He is Jesus. And we get to confess that, that it is his name that we declare this morning. That's the joy of the gospel. The gospel connects our confession to Christ. So like Peter, right? What we get to do today, right? We get to give clarity to a world that is filled with transgression, right? What is that clarity? That Jesus is the Christ. So so how do we respond? Our band is going to come up and we're going to respond in song right now. But how do we respond theologically? Number one, here's our two confessions. The gospel is our confession of fellowship with one another in Christ. Say that with me. One, two, three. The gospel is our confession of fellowship with one another in Christ. Now, like, now talk like you believe, belong to Jesus and you can write and talk at the same time. Double work, right? One, two, three. The gospel is our confession of fellowship with one another in Christ. What does that mean? You cannot say you're a believer in Jesus and you're not one with other believers. Like, like you cannot say you belong to, to, to Jesus, but you don't belong to his church. That's not Christianity, all right? And if you use the term, I go where the Spirit leads me, that's not the Holy Spirit. That is a deceptive spirit, all right? Those who belong to Christ belong to each other. Does that make sense? So what does this mean? Faithfulness in gatherings. Faithfulness in Ohana groups. Faithfulness in serving with our church plants around the islands. And faithfulness in our new church plant in Japan. One month from now, our church planner from Japan, Pastor Jun Ishizaka, will be here with his wife and his baby girl to share what God is doing in Japan. That is the gospel. If all the gospel does 
it suits our benefit, that is not the true gospel. Number two, the gospel is our confession of personal fellowship with God. The gospel is our confession of personal fellowship with God. John the Beloved gives clarity about this truth. I want you to look up on the screen of 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have what? Heard, which we have what? Seen, right, with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our what? Hands, concerning the what? Word of life. Okay, I want you to see this, right? Our series, the confession of what we see, right? What, but what we say, this is all happening right now. Verse 2, the life was made manifested, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the what? Eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, and we what? Proclaim also to who? You, so that you too may have fellowship with what? Us, right? Ohana, nobody get what? Left behind, those theologians were bright. And indeed, our fellowship is with the what? Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our what? Joy may be complete. Listen to me. The whole result of true gospel adoration and connection and confession will result in completed joy. This joy is not based on anything we go through, but the finished work of Jesus Christ. So when my children are acting up, I got joy. When my husband is acting up, I got joy. When myself is acting up, I got joy. When my boss is acting up, I got joy. When I cannot hear today because uh, my, the, the, the devil is attacking me and trying to distract me of God's, God's goodness and greatness. Uh, help me out. I got joy. Your joy is not based on circumstance. Your joy is based on the gospel, truth. Truth will set you free, and you will know what the gospel says. There is joy, joy, unspeakable joy, down deep into my soul. So how do we move forward from today? Be like Peter and be reminded that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the only one that can rescue us from our transgression. Let that be known, no matter how often we get in good times and bad times there is always joy why because the gospel says that we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another because of what Jesus has done and the result of that fellowship say it out loud and proud joy